Hello, welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 18, and I'm here with America. Hello. Hi. Um, so today what we're doing is going over other first vision accounts. And these would have all happened before Joseph Smith gave his first vision account in 1832. And I think we have one account that happens in 1838, right before Joseph gives the official um, standard account that we have in our scriptures. Okay, so we have a list here of 18 people who had first visions, quote-unquote, air quotes, um, before Joseph Smith gave his own account. So, it's a lot of people. These are visions that they had of, of angels or God, and they had these long before Joseph Smith talked about his. Um, some of them are the same years, yes. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all we're going to do is we're going to read these accounts, so enjoy. Catherine Hummer, 1786. And looking about, I saw an angel standing at my right hand who said, Yes, my friend, it is midnight and late. The hour of midnight is approaching. Alas, what shall I say? Love has grown cool among the members. Oh, this were not so among those who are brethren in the faith. And the Savior and the Father stood on the other side of the water. And the Savior called the innocent by name, one after the other, to go in. These two, the Father and the Son, stood together on the other side. Then they also came to the water and preached. The Father to the godless, the Son to the pious. Richard's Brothers, 1794. I was, to prepare me for the designation of God, carried up to heaven in a vision, and saw on my right side at a small distance a beautiful silver-white bird in the shape of a dove, but a little larger. It was the Holy Ghost, and it was the very same that descended on the head of my blessed Savior when he came up from being baptized in the river Jordan. He kept between me and Satan, who was then revealed that I might witness it, and great power given him to visit the earth. The Lord God then spoke to me from the middle of a white shining cloud. I was in a vision, and being carried up to heaven, the Lord God spoke to me from the middle of a large white cloud, and said in a strong, clear voice, All, all, I pardon London, and all the people in it, for your sake. There is no other man on earth that could stand before me to ask for so great a thing. David Brainerd, 1812 As I was walking in a dark, thick grove, Unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view of my soul. I do not mean any external brightness, nor any imagination of a body of light, or anything of that nature. But it was a new inward apprehension, or view that I had of God, such as I never had before. I stood still and admired. I knew that I had never seen before anything comparable to it for excellency and beauty. It was widely different from all the conceptions that ever I had of God, or things divine. I had no particular apprehension of any one person in the Trinity, either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost, but it appeared to be divine glory that I then beheld, and my soul rejoiced, and my joy unspeakable to see such a glorious divine being, and I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all, forever and ever. Benjamin Abbott, 1813. At that instant I awoke, and saw by faith the Lord Jesus Christ standing by me, with his arms extended wide, saying to me, I died for you. I then looked up, and by faith I saw the Ancient of Days, and he said to me, I freely forgive thee for what Christ has done. At this I burst into a flood of tears, and with joy in my heart cried and praised God, and said, Oh, that there were a minister to give me the Lord's Supper! Then by faith I saw the Lord Jesus come to me, as with a cup in his hand, and he gave it me, and I took it and drank thereof. It was like unto honey for sweetness. At that moment, the scriptures were wonderfully opened to my understanding. Lorenzo Dow, 1814. 
When past the age of 13 years, I went out of doors and was taken up by a whirlwind and carried above the skies. At length I discovered across a gulf, as it were through a mist of darkness, a glorious place, in which was a throne of ivory overlaid with gold, and God sitting upon it, and Jesus Christ at his right hand, and angels and glorified spirits celebrating praise. Oh, the joyful music! Rachel Baker, 1814. Rachel Baker had visions once a day for about three years, or from the time of her second baptism, she has suffered paroxysm, which usually continues an hour. Question. What is your greatest grief? Answer. My greatest grief is that the hand of the Lord is lying heavy upon me, and that he is made to differ from my brethren and sisters in a strange and unaccountable manner. Also, that I am not sufficiently resigned to the will of my Heavenly Father, and this my affliction. And I also grieve because I do not live as near to God as I should. Norris Stearns, 1815 At length as I lay apparently upon the brink of eternal woe, seeing nothing but death before me, suddenly there came a sweet flow of the love of God to my soul, which gradually increased. At the same time there appeared a small gleam of light in the room, above the brightness of the sun, then at his meridian, which grew brighter and brighter, at length being in an ecstasy of joy, I turned to the other side of the bed, whether in the body or out I cannot tell, God knoweth. There I saw two spirits, which I knew at the first sight. But if I had the tongue of an angel, I could not describe their glory, for they brought the joys of heaven with them. One was God, my maker, almost in bodily shape like a man. His face was, as it were, a flame of fire, and his body, as it had been a pillar and a cloud. And looking steadfastly to discern features, could see none, but a small glimpse would appear in some other place. Below him stood Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, in perfect shape like a man. His face was not ablaze, but had the countenance of fire, being bright and shining. His Father's will appeared to be his. All was condescension, peace, and love. Elias Smith, 1816 I went into the woods, a light appeared from heaven. My mind seemed to rise in that light to the throne of God and the Lamb. The Lamb, once slain, appeared to my understanding, and while viewing him, I felt such love to him that I never felt to anything earthly. It is not possible for me to tell how long I remained in that situation. Memoirs of Charles G. Finney Just at this point, the whole question of gospel salvation opened to my mind in a manner most marvelous to me at the time. I think I then saw as clearly as I ever have in my life the reality and fullness of the atonement of Christ. I saw that his work was a finished work, and that instead of having or needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ. Gospel salvation seemed to me to be an offer of something to be accepted, and that it was full and complete, and that all that was necessary on my part was to get my own consent to give up my sins and accept Christ. Salvation, it seemed to me, instead of being a thing to be wrought out by my own works, was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who presented himself before me as my God and my Savior. Without being distinctly aware of it, I had stopped in the street, right where the inward voice seemed to arrest me. How long I remained in that position I cannot say. But after this distinct revelation had stood for some little time before my mind, the question seemed to be put, Will you accept it now, today? I replied, Yes. I will accept it today, or I will die in the attempt. North of the village and over a hill lay a piece of woods, in which I was in this almost daily habit of walking, more or less, when it was pleasant weather. It was now October, and the time was past for my frequent walks there. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course towards the woods, feeling that I must be alone, and away from all human eyes and ears, 
so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride must show itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet probably there was not a person on earth that would have suspected such a thing, had seen me going. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, that I recollect that I slunked along under the fence, till I got so far out of sight that no one from the village could see me. I then penetrated into the woods, I should think a quarter of a mile, went over on the other side of the hill, and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between. There I saw I could make a kind of closet. I crept into this place and knelt down for prayer. As I turned to go up into the woods, I recollect to have said, I will give my heart to God, or I will never come down from there. I recollect repeating this as I went up. I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if I could only be where I could speak aloud, without being overheard, I could pray freely. But lo, when I came to try, I was dumb. That is, I had nothing to say to God, or at least, I could say nothing but a few words and those without heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves, as I thought, and would stop and look up to see if somebody were not coming. This I did several times. Finally, I found myself verging fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and I will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods. When I came to try, I found I could not give my heart to God. My inward soul hung back, and there was no giving out my heart to God. My inward soul hung back, and there was no going out of my heart to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late, that it must be that I was giving up God and was past hope. The thought was pressing me to the rashness of my promise that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if that was binding upon my soul, and yet I was going to break my vow. A great sinking and discouragement came over me. I felt almost too weak to stand upon my knees. Just at that moment, I again thought I heard someone approach me, and I opened my eyes to see whether it were so. But right there the revelation of my pride, as the great difficulty that stood in the way, was distinctly shown to me. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness and being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave that place if all the men on earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am on my knees confessing my sins to the great holy God, and ashamed to have any human being and a sinner like myself find me on my knees endeavoring to make my peace with the offended God. The sin appeared awful infinite. It broke me down before the Lord. Just at that point, this passage of scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light. Then shall you go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Then shall you seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. I instantly seized hold of this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible before, but never had the truth been in my mind that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. I was as conscious as I was of my existence, of trusting at that moment in God's veracity. Somehow I knew that that was a passage of scripture, though I did not think I had ever read it. I knew that it was God's word, and God's voice as it were, that spoke to me. I cried to him, Lord, I take thee at thy word. Now thou knowest that I do search for thee with all my heart, and that I have come here to pray to thee, and thou hast promised to hear me. That seemed to settle the question that I could then, that day, perform my vow. The Spirit seemed to lay stress upon the idea in the text, when you search for me with all your heart. The question of when, that it was the present time, seemed to fall heavily into my heart. I told the Lord that I should take him at his word, that he could not lie, and that therefore I was sure that he had heard my prayer, and that he would be found of me. He then gave me many promises, both from the Old and New Testament, especially some most precious promises respecting our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I never can in words make any human being understand how precious and true those promises appear to me. I took them one after the other as infallible truth, the assertions of God who could not lie. They did not seem so much to fall into my intellect as into my heart, to be put within the grasp of the voluntary powers of my mind, and I seized hold of them, appropriated them, and fastened upon them with the grasp of a drowning man. Benjamin Putnam, 1821 I had never as yet attempted to pray. I instantly had a view, as I thought, of the Lord Jesus Christ with his arms extended in an inviting posture, and at the same time this passage of scripture came forcibly to my mind, as though he spoke it. Suffer little children, and forbid them not, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Asa Wilde, 1823 It seemed as if my mind was struck motionless, as well as into nothing, before the awful and glorious majesty of the great Jehovah. He then spake. He also told me that every denomination of professing Christians had become extremely corrupt. Alexander Campbell, 1824, Second Hand Enthusiasm flourishes. This man was regenerated when asleep by a vision of the night. That man heard a voice in the woods, saying, Thy sins be forgiven thee. A third saw his Savior descending to the tops of the trees at noonday. Billy Hibbard, 1825 When I came to the place of prayer, had kneeled down and closed my eyes, with my hands uplifted towards the heavens, I saw Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, looking down upon me, and God the Father looking upon him. The look of Jesus on me removed the burden of my sins. While he spoke these words, Be faithful unto death, and this shall be thy place of rest. John S. Thompson, 1826 I dreamed Christ descended from the firmament in a glare of brightness, exceeding tenfold the brilliancy of the meridian sun, and he came to me, saying, I commission you to go and tell mankind that I am come, and bid every man to shout victory. Solomon Chamberlain, 1829. Dissatisfied with the religions he had tried, Chamberlain prayed for further guidance, and in 1816, according to his account, the Lord revealed to me in a vision of the night an angel, whom Chamberlain asked about the right way. The angel told him that the churches were corrupt, and that God would soon raise up an apostolic church. Chamberlain printed up an account of his vision, and was still distributing them and looking for the apostolic church when he stopped in Palmyra. Martin Harris, 1831. Martin Harris, one of the original Mormon prophets, arrived in this village last Saturday on his way to the Holy Land. He says he has seen Jesus Christ and that he is the handsomest man he ever did see. He has also seen the devil, whom he describes to be a very sleek-haired fellow with four feet and a head like a jackass. Harriet Tubman, 1832. Harriet was born about 1820 in Dorchester County, Maryland. At around 12 years old, Harriet Tubman was at a dry goods store on an errand when an overseer tried to make her help catch one of his slaves, who had gone there without permission. Harriet Tubman would not comply. As Sarah Hopkins Bradford writes in her authorized biography, Harriet, the Moses of her people, she says, The overseer caught up a two-pound weight from the counter and threw it at the fugitive, but it fell short and struck Harriet a stunning blow on the head. It was long before she recovered from this, and it has left her a subject to a sort of stupor or lethargy at times, coming upon her in the midst of conversation, or whatever she may be doing, and throwing her into a deep slumber, from which she will presently rouse herself and go on with her conversation or work. According to multiple accounts, Harriet Tubman began to see visions when she woke from her sudden slumbers, which she thought to be visions from God, and Harriet did indeed believe that through the visions, God showed her premonitions that helped keep her and the slaves she guided safe during her trips. James G. Marsh, 1838. Obituary. Died on the 7th of May last 
James G. Marsh, second son of Thomas B. Marsh, aged 14 years, 11 months, and 7 days. From early infancy, he manifested a love and reverence towards his heavenly father, while his parents diligently taught him the first principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And having a thirst for knowledge and a love of good principles, he eagerly embraced the gospel and was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints early in the spring of 1832, being between eight and nine years of age. His great love of knowledge led him to take hold of every opportunity to read the most useful books, and as he was a lover of the gospel, he made himself well acquainted with the sacred writings, and even at this early age, he had become well skilled in profane as well as sacred history. It seems that the Lord had respect unto this lover of righteousness, for when he was but about nine years of age, he had a remarkable vision, in which he talked with the Father and many of the ancient prophets face to face, and beheld the Son of God coming in his glory. Okay, so that's all we've got recorded. So those are 18 other individuals who said they saw Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. In speaking of the first vision, David O. McKay once stated, That one revelation answers all the questions regarding God and his divine personality. His interest in humanity through authority delegated to man is apparent. The future of the work is assured. These and other glorious truths are clarified by that glorious first vision. However, it should be clarified that none of these questions are answered except in the 1838 account. Joseph doesn't even see God in the 1832 account, and no instruction is given to Joseph, except that he knows his sins are forgiven him. On the church's website, it says, Joseph Smith's first vision stands today as the greatest event in world history since the birth, ministry, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first vision was so important that Joseph Smith didn't write it down until 12 years later, and he told no one that it occurred. Heavenly Father didn't become a character until 18 years later. It was such an important event that dozens upon dozens of individuals were also seeing God in Christ. In my opinion, if Joseph Smith saw God in Jesus at any point, it was not that important.